Welcome to the Clash Podcast. In a first for Bath Rugby, we'll be hosting some special guests from the club, both current stars and legends of the game, alongside invited guests from outside the rugby world. There'll be some rugby chat, some fun and games, and some deeper conversations on a range of topics. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Clash Podcast, presented by Dyson. I'm Simon Ward, and on this final episode of the series, we continue through lockdown with an array of international talent and high-profile names from the game. We hear from Bath Rugby CEO Tarquin MacDonald on life for the club in lockdown and what the club's been doing to keep connected to supporters. We've got some great chat with our very special guests, Anthony and Marcus Watson. Their brotherly bonds through their sporting journey, how they're keeping their minds and bodies in shape, and who'd be sat round their dinner table given the choice. And lastly, we bring back another Bath and England legend. This time it's Ollie Barkley, who reminisces on great nights at the wreck, how he's got his life into gear post-rugby, and his take on Eddie Jones in England. So, let's get on with episode 5 as we get Bath Rugby CEO Tarquin MacDonald to kick off proceedings. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Tarquin MacDonald, CEO of Bath Rugby. Tarquin, bizarre times of course, but how are the club, how are the staff, how are the players coping with what's going on? Yeah, they've been... Um, yeah, hi, Simon. Wardy. Can I call you Wardy? You can call me whatever yeah. you want. I think it's a lot worse. <laughs> I'll stick with Wardy for now. Um, yeah, no, the... I mean, it is, it is strange times. It's, um, you know, the word that everyone uses consistently is unprecedented. And, you know, it has been that. And I think it continues to be. And everyone at the club has been... You know, they've been fantastic. Um you know, there are lots of organisations where all of a sudden what you do, what you know, has just stopped. And that happened with rugby pretty much straight away, um, both in terms of playing games of rugby and bringing people together, which is obviously, you know, what we love doing, um, but also in terms of, you know, how you can prepare and how you can train. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, on a match day, obviously we bring 14,000, 14,500 people together at the rec on a day-to-day basis you know, all of the players uh, and staff are together at Farley and suddenly to be uh, remote from each other, that's, uh, you know, that's a really different experience, really challenging experience, particularly for the guys in the squad. Um, you know, they're used to the band, so they're used to being together every day and having that, that rhythm of the week-to-week games. Um, and, you know, staff have been, you know, fantastic. We're, you know, we're all dealing with some uncertainty, aren't we? You know, we don't sure. quite know... Um, you know, what tomorrow will bring. We're, um, you know, waiting for the next announcement from government or the next announcement for us from from sporting bodies. And I think everyone has been brilliant in terms of um, the way that they've adapted. Um, and if I, if I look more widely as well, in terms of our supporters, they've um, been incredibly patient and understanding in terms of, you know, these massive, massive events that are outside our control. Um, the... Yeah, we, there are some things we can't provide clarity on. We desperately want to soon. So I think, you know, like in a strange way, we're all more remote. But in a strange way, it's, you know, sometimes it's bringing us closer together, if that makes sense. In adversity. Yeah, definitely in adversity. And, um, you know, technology is obviously playing its part. I mean, sort of five, ten years ago, this would have been a very different experience. Um, but I th- think... 
there will be a time when we come back together physically and in person and we'll realize and how much we cherish that and how important that yeah. is um, Extra value. And i certainly look forward to it yeah absolutely absolutely i was i was watching we've been streaming live games which is brilliant we've had thousands of people tuning in at the weekends and saturday uh we had bath saris from 2000 and uh 2017 brilliant day in the sun and you know i just remembered how special and how unique it is when people come together um and i think you know you really appreciate something when you don't you know when you don't have it for a period of time so yeah we desperately can't wait to be in that situation again obviously you know only when it's safe and it's appropriate to do so so um yeah i think people coming together again is something that, that we all miss and something we'll cherish very much when it comes back again so for you as ceo how challenging has it been running a big company like bath rugby remotely because you know we can talk like this on on skype facetime zoom whatever it might be but it is a different experience and presumably the man management has a has a totally different feel to it yeah it definitely brings um different challenges i think what it underlines is the the importance for communication um and sometimes when you're in the same building you um you know, you, you think you're communicating and sometimes you are just with your presence and being there. Um, but actually being remote from people, it, it under, underlines how important it is to have that communication. So we've got a very strong leadership team at the club um, that um, we have regular um, meetings, uh, you know, video conference meetings, uh, talking about, you know, what's going on. Um, and there's some significant challenges we've you know we faced and we've we faced into those together you know we've you know it's on on record we among other clubs um we've asked staff to take a you know pay reduction that's a significant thing to manage a significant sacrifice for everyone and the way that you know the leadership team um took that on the way that was managed the way that our staff responded was uh, you know was amazing throughout it's not an easy thing to do it's not an easy thing um, for anyone to deal with um, but we um, you know we've got good existing uh, relationships among um, you know everyone at the club and um, you know again it's just that contact the difference you know I'm trying to get into a routine of ringing around people at the club um, I put in a few calls yesterday a kit manager one of the coaches our chef and everyone's experience of lockdown is different whether it be um, members of staff who, you know, their partner, their wife, uh, maybe working for the NHS, maybe doing extra hours in terms of children that they're looking after. And actually, there's huge value. I mean, it sounds like such a simple thing, but there's huge value in just giving a little bit of time um, to someone. It's not about a work task, but it's actually just checking in about uh, their experience and what they're going through. So, um, yeah, it's something I need to do more of. It's something that I think everyone at the staff is, uh, everyone at the club has been great in terms of, um, you know, that core, um, core activity, if you like, of just checking in with fellow members of staff, checking how they're doing, not just from a work perspective, but from a personal perspective. I think in terms of, you know, the club overall, we're obviously looking into the future. We want to start playing rugby again you know, as soon as we can. As I said before, it's got to be safe. It's got to be appropriate to do so. Um, and so one of the things that you know, everyone is uh, dealing with is, you know, is that uncertainty, wanting to be ready to come back and prepare, um, you know, and get into training. 
uh, wanting to be ready to sort of get back into the normal work activities. And I think one of the most important things is, is actually being open about the fact that there are things we can't control. Um, there is uncertainty. Um, and, and just by acknowledging that, it's, you know, and that's okay. Um, you know, I think that's something that's really important. Um, you know, we're, um, you know, I think we're, you know, as a, you know, as a club, we're, you know, like other clubs, we are facing, um, you know, significant challenges and, you know, significant financial challenges as so many businesses are. Um, and, you know, we're just regularly working through the scenarios. What does the future look like? Um, so that we can be prepared as, as soon as the, as, as soon as the future becomes, uh, more certain so we can swing into action accordingly. We'll talk about the future of the game in just a moment, but what you've said there is all about the responsibilities of people in and around the club, the, the communication. Community has always been so important at Bath Rugby. We all know that. How impressed have you been with the connection, if you like, between the supporters and the club through this lockdown time? I mean, the work of the social media guys has been excellent from, from yeah. what I can see from a distance. Uh, and... Therefore, there's been lots of highlights in adversity, yes. But, you know, you look at the, the live streaming, uh, the key worker shout-outs, the Swift Half pub quiz. The overall creativity of those at the club has got to be highly commended, hasn't it? Yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic. And what the, the guys have found is they've actually been working in a different way, not just by working remotely, but um, actually bringing together people from different teams who don't normally work together. So, for example, our community manager... Tom Charles, who does a fantastic job within the community department, but at the moment we're not allowed to coach rugby. Um, but he's been in there, for example, with the marketing guys, um, you know, and, um, and other members of the team uh, that we have working away and bringing ideas to the table. And you talked about the, the shout out for key workers and, and particularly NHS. And, you know, there isn't rugby going on, but there is the rugby community and there's the Bath rugby community. And, supporters have been absolutely fantastic in terms of nominating um you know fellow supporters and you know friends and family doing amazing jobs in the front line and the amount of engagement has been sort of amazing i think normally yeah. you know we get caught up in you know obviously the stories of rugby and it's all about rugby it's all about rugby rugby is massive and we desperately want it to restart but there's so much more than that as well this is you know, this is about people. It's about people who've con- yeah, it's about perspective, and it's about people who are connected about something that they care about. You know, on a sort of Saturday afternoon, it's not just people coming and eyes forward, looking at the pitch. They're actually coming, and they've got the friends who sit to their left and to their right. That um, that's a massive part of their lives, and you know, the club is a community, and you know, it's been incredibly kind of humbling and. And, you know, inspiring, actually, in terms of how engaged supporters have been in terms of celebrating the amazing work on the front line, in terms of how much it's meant to people to see the games that have been streamed, um, you know, on the Saturdays. And, you know, I think that's something, you know, really important for us to take forward that we, you know, we certainly don't lose that and we don't just maintain it, but we actually build on that because that's really at the heart of what um, the club is about. And I think for us to sort of continue that in terms of how we engage, how we communicate and the role we play, I think can be a really important part of the club's future. Much as nobody wanted this, of course they didn't. It has provided opportunity, 
for people to think about the game and how the game looks and how the game works and the business of rugby union. We've seen Sibyl re-elected to World Rugby this week. We've seen lots of talk about the global calendar. Do you feel that when rugby comes back, as soon as possible, of course, but whenever that may be, that we may look at it, look at rugby union in a slightly different way in the way it's presented, in the way it's run? Is, is this an opportunity in adversity? I use that word again, but you know what I'm saying. Mm. You have a chance to look from the outside in. Is this a chance for, for rugby to brush itself off and, and reset itself in many ways? I think it's inevitable that questions get asked. I think in, in anything that you do, we, you, know, you have the habit of what you know and the routine of what you already do. And when that's suddenly challenged, um, and again, like you say, in adversity, circumstances that no one would predict and no one would, would want, but it does force you to look at things differently. So at the moment, there are games that haven't been played and for competition reasons, um, for economic reasons, for all sorts of reasons, at international level, club level, there's determination to try and make those games happen. And over time, obviously, it then poses more questions. Well, how do we fit those into an already condensed calendar? And so it does pose questions from a world rugby perspective, a league perspective, um, you know, from a player perspective, and um, I think that absolutely there will, you know, be a time that the answers start to be given to some of those questions, and you know, the world will be looked at um, a little bit differently. I think the, you know, the important thing is you say, okay, well, you know, do we believe in rugby? Do we believe in what rugby stands for? Do we believe in the long-term future? And I think absolutely the answer to all of those questions is yes. The question then in terms of how we navigate from where we are now to that future absolutely provides opportunity to to reshape. And I think that, again, it's it's not by design or intent, um, but what you, you know, you sometimes find is that um, different, um, different objectives, different kind of organisations, different bodies, the unions, the clubs, they can be bumping up against each other. And actually yep. now we're forced to find some solutions. And if coming out of that, it's not just the solutions, but it's a new way of working, which if it can ultimately be for the good of the game, if there could be more harmonisation, you know, in terms of global calendar, in terms of club calendar, and if that can work better for clubs, for supporters, for players, then, you know, you can look back and say, that wasn't anything we would have chosen. Absolutely, it wasn't. But in terms of the game, there was something positive that came out of that. So I think you're absolutely right. Well, let's hope so. I'm sure Bath fans will be willing me to ask what the state of the stadium is. Am I right in assuming everything's on, on hold right now? Yeah, things are on, things are on pause at the moment. Um, you know, we, obviously everyone's in lockdown and the design and planning process requires meetings, it requires engagement. So obviously that's on pause. And um, I think what I can say is that you know, our rugby you know, we're Bath Rugby, we're not the Bath, I don't know, whatever we might be, we're not rebranded as anything else. You know, we, you know, we're a rugby club and we play in Bath and that's absolutely the core of what we're about in the heart of the city. And, you know, that commitment's unchanged. Um, I think we, you know, rightly, rugby has paused. We need to navigate our way through this as every other club is doing. And then we'll pick up the reins again on the stadium project. And, I mean, our commitment on that, you know, throughout has been, this stadium for Bath, this is, 
absolutely about creating an amazing um, amazing environment for supporters, for players, for everyone, you know, every day that we play uh, Premiership European rugby. But it's also about creating a space that can be uh, loved, that can be used, that can be part of everyone's lives within the community. And, um, you know, that mission continues, um, uh, paused for the moment. And, yeah, we'll pick that up uh, when we can, when it's right to do so uh, as we emerge. Well, we look forward to that emergence ASAP, of course. On a personal level to finish with, is there one thing that you're really proud of yourself that you've picked up through this lockdown? Maybe a, a skill that you've done, maybe your cooking's improved, maybe the garden's <laughs> looking better than it used to. Everybody seems to have one thing that they go, yes, I actually achieved this during lockdown. Do you have one favourite thing? Uh, well, I'm, I'm very proud. I've perfected. I'm very proud of my bolognese that I've perfected. I'm actually making some for um, for some of the guys on a foundation course. So I'll, I'll find uh, from our foundations. So I'll find out if they think the same of it. The other thing I'm really proud of is I think that having a different type of relationship with my kind of kids and a bit of homeschooling um, has, I think, probably challenged me like never before, but also <laughs> helped me to be a better parent. I think. What I'd just like to say in terms of the club and kind of our supporters, I think it's been um, sort of brilliant and a really important moment in terms of what a club can be beyond the rugby. And, um, you know, from our side, in terms of how we sort of communicate and the responsibility that goes with um, working at a club. You know, we're all custodians of the club. I think that's very strongly felt by everyone at the club. Um, and there's a lot that I and we will all take forward from this, um, you know, that we carry forward as, as we do emerge, that, that we look forward to. So not something anyone would have wished, but as you said before, there's, there's always lessons that come out of adversity. Well, I look forward to chatting face to face before too long and maybe even Likewise. tasting that bolognese. <laughs> I'll put a portion so in the freezer for you. you. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Put it in the thank post. You. The Clash Podcast. Well, we are delighted to be able to have rugby royalty with us, the Watson brothers. They seem to be flying down the wing for club and country, doing great things in 15s and 7s. Anthony, Marcus, thanks for sparing us the time. Bizarre scenario for everybody. Uh, how are you hanging in? How have you passed the time? Let's start with, uh, well, older brother always gets first digs, right, Marcus? No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Especially in our household as well, to be fair, so it's all good. Um, yeah, what have I been doing? I guess, like, um, we've been given sort of our programmes from some of our SNC coaches. So we've been um, still managing to get outside and, and run, finding sort of the closest little patch of grass to us and, and getting out and doing some fitness. So I've done that today. And then just before lockdown, I managed to pick up a bit of weights from the club. So kind of um, still managing to get a little bit done, just trying to keep uh, keep as fit as I can. And then... Um, in between those, there's been some some reading and a lot of Fortnite. So kind of <laughs> in between the two. The Fortnite war zone on Bessie. And is that much no, the same for you? Yeah, that's me. What's that? Sorry. Is that much the same for you? Yeah, pretty much the exact same. Um, you know, I try and stay in a in a routine from week to week that kind of makes the time go a little bit faster. Um, but trying to make the most of of this opportunity as well, just being at home and having spare time so um i've got one more assignment left of my degree um and then that's pretty much it like marcus was saying i've been running lifting like, like usual 
um, and then playing PlayStation. So it's pretty much a combination of any of those four things in any day. Um, but that's about it, to be honest with you. I don't, can... I, don't, I don't read unlike Marcus. I can't read it. doesn't work. That's to come after you've done your degree, obviously. <laughs> I don't know about that. I can never see myself sitting down while I'm in my house to read a book, no matter how bored I am. What's the degree in? Uh, leadership and management. Okay. Thinking to the future. Uh, yeah, well, Marcus will testify when you've got a Nigerian mum, you've got to do something outside of sport to try and keep <laughs> her happy. Um, so she's been on to me for years about trying to do something. So I finally caved when I did my Achilles and, um, and I got the first year done, obviously, whilst being out injured. So that's, uh, that helped out a fair bit and then managed to stick in it um, this year whilst all the rugby and stuff's been going on. And I guess this time again um the lockdown stuff has given me an opportunity to to kind of get ahead of the curve so that when we do come back hopefully i'll have finished it there's been uh, lots of comparing notes i i heard just as we were setting up here with between the two of you with what you've been doing in terms of your s and c stuff do you do you still uh, compete between the two of you um well, not directly as much. The only thing we've set up is like all three of us brothers have got like um, set up our activity or whatever on our um, eye watches. So every now and again, I'll be looking to see who's doing the most. And to be fair, um, my youngest brother who's working at the same time is actually keeping up pretty well. That's Callum, um, right? Ant- That's Callum, yeah. And Anthony's had some pretty big days himself as well. So yeah, I've been, been keeping an eye out on what the two of them have been up to. Because I saw I saw a video of you, Marcus, with my old old mate Dan Howes, doing um a trunk uh, yeah. strengthen thing for England rugby. So you've been uh, you've been keeping the physique there, right? <laughs> I saw that video. That was done maybe five or six years ago, and it was a big it was a big throwback. I can't even really remember doing the video, but when I think Tom Mitchell's came out first, and I was like, oh, I think I did one of those as well. And the next day. There's me, there's me doing it. I look like I'm in better shape there as well, which is sad, but uh, it is what it is. Hey, there's no date on it. Just roll with it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was two weeks ago. And the football skills are there because when, when Bath started up the, the past the paper, I was noticing the JJ Okocha in Bath colours, Ant. <laughs> I'm actually useless at football as well. Um, Correct. <laughs> I've got no first touch, so... Um, but I try, tried my best um, and, and then just compared myself to the best Nigerian football ever, footballer ever. So um, <laughs> it's what it is. <laughs> Obviously, during lockdown, we've got loads of time to reflect and look back. You, you know, you talk about all the stuff on between the three of you. When you look back now, has that competitive instinct, which you've obviously had from birth, has that driven you to be the players you are, do you think? Uh, I definitely think so. I think... Um, for me, definitely, when I was younger, um, again, Marcus and my dad will testify. Like I was, I was a sore loser. I guess being the the middle child meant that I was always trying to compete with with Marcus, who was the best at everything because he's older. Um, and yeah, I just always would compare myself to him and and my cousins and stuff who were older than than Marcus as well. So um, I was always trying to trying to compete with those guys, and it was always actively encouraged by my dad. Um, and he, he kind of encouraged, like, I would say a winning mentality. Like it was from pretty early on, like I can remember going to, 
going to you know rugby tournaments and stuff and my dad always telling um explaining to us how we had to try and win and stuff and um and not that second wasn't good enough but second wasn't winning um and that kind of stuck with me throughout my childhood really and um and I always wanted to win everything um and that could be anything from you know uh across country to playing FIFA with Marcus playing football in the garden um I always wanted to try and win and, and Marcus and Callum were the same as well so um it was it probably created a bit of a bit of mess that my mum had to clean up um but, <laughs> more than once yeah but it was I think it definitely put us in good stead Marcus I mean being the elder child I suppose it's easier in some ways but you had to lead the way I mean you had the 100 meter schools record for a while until somebody took it off you <laughs> but has that yeah. has that always been yeah. a driver uh yeah I, I think um like you said we've always kind of been competitive all three of us um and I think mine probably mainly again was probably from my dad I've got like a couple of memories actually um two that really spring to mind one being I was so nervous for 100 meters when I was really young and I remember being like feeling so sick before it and I actually almost convinced myself that I was actually ill and um and so I didn't end up doing it and I went home and I remember my dad turning around and just being like knowing that I wasn't ill basically and I was just really nervous I must have been about I don't know 10 or 9 or something and that just stuck with me because I remember being like I can't ever do that again just you know if I'm nervous for something I've still just got to got to go forward and I think it's a weird thing that I reckon that had a huge part to play because after that I can't really remember I was obviously nervous for things but I can't remember I can't remember ever being as nervous as that which is really strange but um and another one was we played a rugby game against a team called Halliford who were meant to be sort of the best team and um and I remember being not having a great game and my dad just not actually having a go at me for not playing well it was more for the fact that I wasn't trying just certain things like chasing back and when someone made a line break and things like that and that was another thing that stuck with me and I just think that you know he instilled there's no doubt that him and my mum because my mum used to say there's no point in doing something if you're not going to do it well and um, I think both of those I think my mum and my dad had a huge part to play in just my sort of feeling towards competition and then that obviously having Anthony and Callum as well and us competing in general I think put me in a pretty good place when it came to sort of knowing how to compete and how to do it well. It's true to be fair because we we talk about our dad, but mum was like, you know, we'd come back and we'd be buzzing that we did well in a test or something. Let's say we got 85%. My mum would always reply with, where's the other 15% as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to well done. Um, so it was always like, you know, trying to, trying to be better or be as best as we can. Um, and if someone else did better than 85%, she'd let us know as well because she'd find out. So <laughs> it was just like... I don't know. It was both of them, to be fair. It's interesting Marcus said that, because whenever I think about it, I always think immediately towards my dad. And that's what's driven this degree thing for you, Ant, right now, is that, you know, there's there's other things apart from rugby in the world. Yeah, there was a few things. I mean, like I said, it was partially because I'd done my Achilles and, like, there was a, a genuine possibility um, that, you know, rugby could have been snatched from me type thing. So um, I kind of had to to prepare, even if it wasn't that instance that was going to 
you know, take rugby away from me. It gave me a bit of a, a kick up the backside to, to try and figure out, you know, or have something in place for when rugby does finish. Um, and obviously the fact that she was there on, on to me about, you know, this is, you know, this, this could happen type thing, that kind of, a combination of those two, you know. Am I right in thinking your dad used to play for Saracens, right? Was he a winger then? <laughs> That'll no, be another thing. He, he was... No, he was a um, he was a flanker, and he says he was he says he was gritty is the word that he uses, but <laughs> he's soft at heart. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to see. He said he got suspended once from school for a rugby game, so I don't know what he did there. But I don't Honestly, know. <laughs> he, he talks he talks about his rugby like he was a WWE wrestler, and he had a special move. And he said his special move used to be <laughs> ripping the ball off people. <laughs> I was like, That's not a special move. <laughs> It hasn't passed down to his, his siblings, obviously. Definitely not. <laughs> where, where does Callum play? Is he a winger? No, he's a, he's a scrum half. He's a scrum half, so he's a little bit different. But, um, yeah, so it's still a similar type of player. Like, he's got, um, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he likes to run with the ball, got good footwork. Um, but, yeah, he's uh, playing his trade at scrum half. I'm talking to you two like you're veterans. My God, you're only in your mid-20s. But Marcus, you've got on your CV, you've got silver medal, Rio Olympics, and you've got British and Irish Lions 2017. You've got England International. You're both England Internationals. Of course you are. When you look at, at what you've achieved, it must fill you with tremendous satisfaction, much as it's not finished, but so far so good, right? Um, I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't think it's something that I'll think about until or realise until after I'm done rugby because... Um, I don't know, I feel like things just move so quickly, like you can't actually um, sit there and think about how well you've done because then it's going to affect how well you could do, if that makes sense. Um, So for me... It's what your mum says, isn't it? It's it's always looking to better yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I don't really, you know, um, sit back and think about how great things work because I feel like there's so much more to come um, and so much more left to drive for. So, you know, I think for me anyway, it'll be post-rugby where I can sit back and think about, um, you know, potentially how well things might have gone. Marcus, you've got, I mean, you've done some terrific things, both in 15s and 7s. Yeah, I think, so my, my kind of thought process is a bit similar to Anthony's, but slightly different. I think the one thing I would hate at the end of my sort of career is to look back and just be like, you watch all these sports documentaries and everyone talking about things that they've won and things that they, that they did. Um, and I think the one thing, and I don't even know what kind of a feeling it is, but I can definitely look back at some of the stuff that I've done with sort of Olympics and sevens. And, and that's something that I know that after I finish rugby, I can look at and be pretty proud of and happy with. And I think that's one thing that almost gives me a bit of, relief but at the same time it doesn't change any motivation if that makes sense it's just really it's quite a nice feeling if I sit there and think touch wood if I was to if I was to have a sort of career-ending injury I'd be gutted that there's certain things that I still haven't done but at the same time I'm happy that there is some good stuff that I've done if that makes sense but that doesn't change any sort of motivation or or anything at all it kind of you know I'm still loving playing rugby uh I'm still working hard so for me, I think the enjoyment is definitely still there. Um, and, and there's definitely plenty of things that I still want to, 
want to achieve and are motivated for. I don't think motivation has gone, but yeah, I, I think I can look back um, with a couple of things that I'm, you know, pretty happy with. So that, that's quite a nice feeling. Yeah, deservedly so. It's, I guess it's it's down to a matter of glasses always half full, but there's always another half to fill. So you know, never you know, you don't you don't stop, do you? You know, when we reflect on where rugby's at right now, and and I know. I think both of you are into NFL, aren't you? Um, When you look at what Christian Wade's done, is there ever a temptation to not necessarily do NFL, but to do something different in sport that that might take you into into a different area? Marcus, has that crossed your radar at all? Um, No, not to be honest, not not at all. I think um, maybe because my pathway's been slightly different to Anthony's. but like you know, we, we've got some we've got some cousins in America who have sort of mentioned, oh, you should give it a go, kind of thing. But you know, for me, if I kind of look back at where I'd kind of been, I, I kind of got into 15s after after the Olympics, and I was 26 at that stage. So I've been now in the Premiership for four or five years. Um, hold on, sorry, I finished sevens at 24, and then went to Newcastle. Um, so I've been in. Yeah, I've been in the Prem for now five years, which doesn't feel like that long. So I've kind yeah. of changed a bit, whereas I suppose Anthony might have been, Anthony's been playing 15s for longer. Um, but yeah, my motivation is still definitely, um, definitely in 15s. And there's, you know, things that I'd quite like to obviously achieve in 15s that I've definitely not done yet. I see Christian got drafted by the Bills last week. And do you keep in touch with him? Is it something that you'd be interested in? Um, yeah, I spoke to him um, a fair bit. Just I don't want to, you know, hammer him too much, asking him too much because everyone will be on to him at the moment. So it's, um, I just wanted to leave him to do his thing, really, to be honest with you. Um, but in terms of whether it was something I thought about, yeah, I thought about it quite in depth probably two years ago. Um, and then, you know, the stuff that happened with my Achilles and that kind of made me realise, um, I guess, how... I just wanted to be fully committed to, to rugby and that was it. Um, and that kind of blew that idea out of the water, really. Um, I really just wanted to, to maximise the years I had ahead of me in rugby. And I thought that, you know, going to to try and do something that was completely new, yeah, it would be real real rewarding. Um, but I don't know, I just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't actually that viable an option. Um, and I felt like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sticking something out if I didn't continue playing yeah, you know sure. I wouldn't have maximized and and achieved everything I wanted to in in this sport by doing that I mean your achievements to the most part have been individuals separate from each other I think you played about five minutes for London Irish first team back in the day when you were at, at the Exiles Academy is that something that that drives you in terms of you'd like to play on each wing or fullback and wing or whatever or you know be it for a club be it for country be it for the Lions is it does that ever come into conversation between the two of you? Uh, we've yeah, spoken about, about it. Yeah, we've obviously spoken about it before. It would have been cool just to... I don't even think it's necessarily the playing side of things, to be honest with you. It's more about, um, for me anyway, it's more about going to to training every day and uh, and being able to compete and work together as well um, in training and then letting out on the weekends. That was more exciting for me than, than necessarily just playing in games together. Um, because I felt like I could still learn so much from watching and, and training with my brother on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that was that was a draw 
um, to that side of things for me. But in terms of whether it will happen or not, um, I guess the clock's ticking for both of us. So um, we'll see what happens. But it would be, it would definitely be cool. Marcus, I mean, yeah. you're, you're at least three years older than your, than your middle brother, but you've still got plenty of miles on the clock, surely. Yeah, definitely. I, it's, it's something exactly like Anthony said that I would, I'd love to do. Like there's so many things like Anthony said that would be, I, I, I like to think I push myself enough sort of just being in a team or being even by myself. But I just feel like the added addition of having one of my brothers in a team would just be that sort of extra push. Um, yeah. And and I just think it, it would bring, I think it would bring the best out of me. I'd also like to think it would bring the best out of Anthony and Callum as well. Um, and there's just something about sort of when you're playing rugby and it's a, you know, you're nervous before a game and you look over and there's certain people you just like playing with and there's some people you just get like, you know, you want to play with um, just from personality wise and, and being close friends with them and, and I'd love to be able to sort of look over to a pre-game or even after the game, celebrating some wins and stuff like that. And you've got your your brothers there. That that would be that'd be awesome, especially if you're sort of training, training hard, getting the best out of each other, and then and then um and then you celebrate together. I think that would be that would be class. Yeah, you must look at the likes of the Curry twins, the Vunipola brothers. You've got the Willis brothers, haven't you? At Wasps, and just think, mm, yeah, that must be a sweet feeling. Yeah, I've said to the Willis brothers a couple of times before, I've been like, oh, it must be, it must be quality. And they don't really know anything different right now. So they obviously, you know, they're really tight. They live together and, and they're, they're, um, they definitely appreciate it. But it's just uh, every now and again, I'll just try and sort of tell them, you know, how much they should appreciate it because uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. You still want the bragging rights, right? Because if I remember <laughs> rightly, December 2017, a couple of tries against Bath. Talk me uh, back through the wreck as well. Um, all I remember, yeah. Well, so there was a couple. It was a good game, right? And I was happy I scored the two tries and we won. However, the first thing <laughs> that comes to my head about that game is I could have been a hat trick. <laughs> I had a one-on-one with Anthony for a hat trick. It wasn't even a one-on-one actually. It was probably a three-on-one, and I should have passed it. But. I did. Carl Eastman, Nev, Carl Eastman, uh, I played with him that year, he's a legend. And I just remember him turning around to me after the game and being like, mate, that is the worst step I've ever seen you do. And I was gutted because I was like, I know that Anthony, Anthony would have been, Anthony, both our heart rates would have been through the roof. I got excited as hell and I was just like, here we go. And I don't know what happened. I just pulled out a dead sidestep and Anthony tackled me and I was absolutely gutted. <laughs> I, I promise you, I've been thinking about that situation all week and I knew that that was going to happen. I knew that Marcus was going to get an opportunity one-on-one versus me because like, we'd never played a full 80 against each other. That was the first time and I knew it. I just knew that Marcus would have that opportunity. Um, and I literally, once he made his move, I closed my eyes and I, I prayed that, that he was going down and I had one of his boots and I was clinging on for dear life. Um, but the other thing I can remember from that game is... <laughs> is uh, me and JJ snitching on you to get you a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> the funny on. video. Who was JJ the ref? With his long, uh, I, don't know who, I don't know who the ref was, actually. But I remember, obviously, I'd, I'd slapped the ball down twice. And, and uh, on the second one, there's a picture, and I think, 
and JJ's got the world's longest fingers, which I always, I always give him some banter about. And he's there, just going to the ref, like they were like, just saying twice ref, and his fingers on the screen, are, like poking out the end of the screen. It's just, <laughs> and then there's Anthony in the background. I think, there's just the, I think there's just the three of us in the screen, and they're both shouting at the ref, and I'm just there, head down, walking off with the yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> Because JJ's like the fourth Watson brother, right? Yeah, pretty much. Sorry, pretty Jonathan much. Joseph, I should say, for, for those that may not be up to speed with that, but he's been around for such no, a long he, time he, with your family. Yeah, he was my... Um, me, and, me and JJ were good mates since we were 14. We kind of came up through the London Irish age groups together and sometimes in the summer he would stay at, um, at our house and uh, our parents' house even. And... Um, and we lived together in the academy for the first year, and then we weren't allowed to in the second year because we were. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on! Don't skip a bunch of information there. JJ and Marcus what? got separated by the current forwards coach at Bath, Neil Hatley. He separated JJ and Marcus because they were a bad influence on each other. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we were late for everything, but then Marlon came in and just blew all that out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, no one could have been worse than Marlon in the academy, so I wouldn't compare myself yeah, to Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's just say me and JJ have learned a lot from those days, and, and Hatch, uh, Hatch taught us, so we're now not late at all anymore. Marlon, I'm not sure. <laughs> and JJ has a strong influence on you, Ant, as well, England and, uh, and Bath. Yeah, definitely. I think um, particularly when, I, when we moved from Irish to Bath, um, he was he was huge for me in terms of like we I started living with him then and he was older more experienced he'd played for England and stuff and um, he helped me with you know my knowledge of the game and stuff but also seeing how he how he did certain things um, off the field as well I didn't really know much back then so um, <clears throat> he helped me loads and I was I was pretty shy as well when I came into the academy as well and JJ's not not one who's um, who struggled really for confidence. So having him there was um, was kind of kind of important, um, especially when I was younger, as I said. Because there has been a whole group of you that came through, well, from London Irish Academy in particular, and we we know the the route down to Bath has been well trod by many of you. But out of that age group, there's been so many that have come through. It, it was a really productive time, from from coming through those schools groups, I guess, and, and into, into senior rugby. So are you talking about London Irish Academy here? Well, London Irish Academy and England under-20s, because you were part of the... Which was that? Was that Maritoso's lot in New Zealand, or was that Jack Clifford's lot when you won the no, under-20 yeah, championship? I was, with, I was with Jack Clifford. Um, in France? So yeah, or Italy, yeah, No, it was in France, yeah. Um, yeah, we had a pretty good age group. I mean, Slady was at 10. Nolsey was obviously... Um, I think he actually played at fullback in the final. Um, and then we had guys like so Dave CC, Jack Clifford. Um, and there's, there's more. I'm going to do someone a disservice here by not mentioning them. But um, we had a great, great group there, to be fair. And they're all good lads. Well, actually, Stukey was there, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to mention yeah. Elliot Stuke. Yeah, otherwise, you will get in trouble. He'll be, on, he'll be on the phone to me straight after saying, why didn't you mention me? Um, but he was he was hanging back then anyway. He was quiet and he didn't say much, so I'm not surprised. I can't remember. Um, How times have changed. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it was a, it was a good group. I think that, again that that was something that put us in good stead. 
and to be able to go against those Southern Hemisphere teams and win, um, it kind of gave us confidence, I reckon, um, even though it's a completely different competition to when you get older and you get put against, you know, those same nations. What I was thinking, I was like, I'd, obviously it's a bit of a rhetorical question, but I'd like to know whose age group would actually be better because our age group was also pretty, was pretty good. It would be a, it'd be a hell of a match-up between the two. I think there's like... Yeah. I'm Probably not gonna lie. I think lot. your age group would have would have won that one. Who was your, your age group, group mate? Was ridiculous. So we had, we can't count Billy because he was playing for us, but he was a lot older. Um, older. But we had Matt. Uh, sorry, younger. Sorry, younger. We had uh, and forty. Mako, oh yeah, and forty. So we had Mako, Jamie, George, um, Henry, George, Henry. Yeah, George Cruz. Uh, well, he was year yeah year above actually, but we played with him as well. Um, Charlie Matthews, back row was obviously Billy was there. I'm trying to think if there's any back rows playing now, actually. Not in the first Everard, team, wasn't it? Uh, Matt Everard, and then Owen Farrell, JJ, Wadey, um, Tom Homer. Yeah, we had a pretty strong side. I've definitely missed out a couple of people as well, for sure. Yeah, Fordy, Elliot Daly. No, Elliot was Elliot was younger. Elliot's two oh, years yeah. younger. Johnny. <laughs> yeah, Johnny May. Sorry, we had Johnny May, yeah. That's quality. No, we had a yeah, pretty good team. All right, let's let's take it forward to current day. Um this scenario is bizarre to say the least. How difficult is it as elite athletes to keep the pot on the boil, so to speak? Not sure when you're gonna be getting back on the park, but trying to keep that well, the mentality for one thing, but the physicality, of course, for another. Marcus, how how difficult has it been? How much of a strain over the last seven, eight weeks to just keep yourself on the simmer? Um, it's definitely taught me a few things, actually, in a positive light. I think two things it's kind of taught me. One is that um, I'm not too bad at sort of keeping a routine and, and pushing myself on my own, to be fair. Like, that's one thing I'd... I don't don't get me wrong, I've had some days where I've not been like today was a good example actually. I I really like lost a bit of motivation to do some gym stuff. Um but uh yeah, I've not found it too bad to be honest. And I think the other reason why is because I've kind of been I've had quite a lot of annoying sort of niggly injuries over the last what two or three years and some of them some of those injuries are feeling pretty not pretty good at the moment. Good. And that makes a huge that makes a huge yeah it makes a huge difference. I just feel like I'm almost looking forward to some running sessions now, just because I feel I feel um, quite good. So I think um, in terms of not knowing when when you're getting back, I've not even really thought about that too much. I'm just trying my best to almost like like I think Anthony said, it's you're kind of testing yourself in these times, not and and um just trying to sort of keep yourself fit and at the same time you can come in I'd, I'd like to try and see if I can come in almost in better shape than I was before um so that's a bit of a motivator for me um I guess and you are you are you much the same uh yeah I think so I mean um yeah I mean I had, I had all kinds of things that I wanted to improve on um and you know you had chapter for me anyway I you just have to think outside the box and find a way of, of still doing the same thing but doing it on your own um, but in terms of, you know, waking up and going out to do something, um, it's for me, it's more, if I don't do it, I'll feel terrible and I'll be in the worst mood ever. So, um, 
it's not actually I don't find it too difficult to get up and, and go do something um, because yeah I just know what I'll be like if I don't do it and like I'll be in a terrible mood um, if I set out to do something generally I, I, I like to complete it um, because it'll put me in a bad mood like I said so um, I've not <clears throat> I've not struggled too much to be honest with you to, to, to go out and, and get things done um, because you know, I have to, um, and you know, I almost see this as an opportunity where some people can go the other way. Some people can be like, you know, uh, make excuses for, for not putting in the work. So some people could say, oh, there's no pitch near me. So I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna drive 20 minutes to, to go do my exercise. Whereas, you know, there's other people who will be doing as much as they can. So I want to be one of those people who, who makes the most out of this situation and potentially gets an advantage. Um, so that's the way I'm looking at it. So every day is another opportunity to try and maximize that advantage for me. Great outlook. Uh, have you chatted about how the game might look when we finally get back? We've, there's a lot of talk on, on the social networks about whether we get into a global calendar scenario, whether things change. I'm, I'm big into my baseball. So in terms of American sport, one of their, their ideas is, is that they're going to take 30 major league baseball teams, put them into Arizona, and quarantine them basically, and then play on six, seven pitches, whatever they've got there, and get the whole season done within that. Have you, you boys, actually discussed how the Premiership season might end, if it's going to end, how next season is going to look? Do you have you thought about that yet? Um, a little bit. I think that that the baseball example you used is, <clears throat> I think that's particularly different, and I think that's difficult. That would be difficult to, for those players in particular to do because they're expected then to be four months in isolation away from their families and in a hotel as well. Um, so they'll literally be going to play games and then going straight back to a hotel and there'll be no form of entertainment. Um, they'll be stuck in a hotel really for four months. And I don't think that that's, that's feasible for, for people's mental health. I think as well, people could go completely West with, with having all that time on their own in a hotel room. Like I reckon mad stuff could happen. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that that's actually, I, I don't think that that would be a, a great option. Um, in terms of rugby, sorry. Um, you know, I've heard all kinds of rumors and, um, you know, I'm ready for whatever, really, to be honest with you. I just, I, I want to get back to training more than anything else. Um, just being <clears throat> in and amongst the lads again and, um, and being able to, you know, freely, um, you know, pass and kick around a ball and stuff like that. You know, that's what, um, that I'm most looking forward to. Um, when the games come back, there's no doubt that there'll be some level of. They're not. It's not going to go straight back to how it was before, is it? So, no. um, but <clears throat> that's not really in our control. Um, so you know, we'll see what happens now. I'm not really too concerned with it. Um, obviously, I'd like to play sooner rather than later. But um, in terms of what it looks like, I'm not really too bothered. Marcus, you were the same mind. Yeah, exactly the same. I think, like Anthony said, the rumor, the whole rumor sort of mill on um, on what's going to happen. There, I've heard plenty of different things. I've heard sort of rumors about there being sort of multiple games at, at one on one day at Twickenham or something like that. When it when it all comes back together, um, obviously in terms of in training, we've heard that when we're back in, it will be social distancing, and that could be quite soon. Might not be. Um, so I think one thing that uh, people probably like you're saying are oh, maybe struggling with is just by the fact that there's no 
the time frame is so big that or so far like could be next week it could be in a couple months time um so i've just got to prepare myself for either situation which kind of just means which kind of means just just training and, and getting on with it really and and the sooner the better but at the same time if it gets a bit longer you know i've got to make sure that i prepare myself well enough for that as well the competitive juices no doubt are getting themselves going across various uh platforms should we say is it uh fortnight is it Warzone? what's what's taking your fan i know and you're a big gamer aren't you uh yeah i play a fair bit i mean i play i play Warzone pretty much every night um for... with tyrone mings was one of the names that cropped <laughs> up yeah i have been playing mostly with him to be honest um yeah I, i'm not sure how that even well we're good mates anyway but i don't know how um, it's it's taking the the direction it has where we're literally playing together for like three hours a night. Um, but yeah, it's, we've been trying to collect as many wins as possible, and I'm ahead of the bar lads at the moment, um, which is no. Is there a table? There is a table, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when when the bar lads are playing with guys like Tom Ellis and stuff, it's, it's no surprise that they're struggling because he's useless. Um, <laughs> honestly, and where but, are you at? Um, <laughs> I'd like to think I'm towards the top somewhere. I'm not the best, but um, yeah, I mean, Garvey's pretty good. Um, Henry Thomas is all right. Um, and uh, they also play with Anthony Peronisi, um, who was at the club, and he's, he's probably the best, actually, to be fair. He's not Luke Count-Dickey, though. No, that guy is, <laughs> is a different level. No matter what game it is, like, he picks up and he's... Give him three, four days, and he's probably the best within three, four days. Like it's he, just—he's a dad now, right? He hasn't oh, got that's... time to play games, surely. Oh, mate, honestly, where there's a will, there's a way, and trust me, Dicky will find a way. Um... <laughs> One-handed nappy changing. <laughs> all school, all sorts from him, mate. Honestly, um, yeah, he'll find a way. Trust me. What about a wasps, Marcus? Is is that uh, rife there too? Uh, no, not that much. I think. Well, I I wouldn't really know the Call of Duty situation. I'm not much of a gamer to be honest. However, um, my like I I got into Fortnite. I think because of Anthony actually who just gave it a go. And and uh, I won't lie, that game is the only game I play. But I've been playing it pretty much every single day of lockdown. Um, almost it's like in my routine. Um, and. I'm kind of playing. There's not many boys play at Wasp. Billy Cell plays a little bit, um, but I've been playing. And Gabriel Ogre plays a little bit. Who's with JJ at the moment? But the people that I play with the most with is actually JJ and um, a guy called Tom Penny. Uh, Tom Penny from um, Twins. Marcus plays yeah, mostly yeah, yeah. with the Bath lads as well. Though Marcus plays with. I mean, yeah, when Cooper true. was here, it would be Marcus, Cooper, Toby Falatau, and JJ. Um, those guys would be actually, yeah. When every I say, day. yeah, I just in fact when I'm saying the people I play with the most, it's probably those lot, and then it's Stuky, um, yeah. J- Jimmy Wilson, and Cooper Vuna as well. Yeah. <laughs> the Marcus pretty much just plays with the Bath lads. <laughs> the There's no boundaries, lads. right? <laughs> There's been loads of documentaries, and I presume you've been watching the Last Dance, Michael Jordan stuff, and seen Tiger King. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to put Tiger yeah. King in the last dance in the same sentence. That's very, yeah, maybe very a bizarre <laughs> sentence. <laughs> um, yeah, there's been a few good documentaries, to be fair. That, the Jordan one is obviously um, the one that everyone's watching, and it's, it's unreal. Um, the test? Was, yeah, the test was actually pretty cool. I mean, I don't really like test cricket, but that really was good. pretty 
pretty sick insight in, in, in behind what they go through. Um, yeah. The other one, I know it's quite old, but Marcus told me to watch one called Kissed by God, which is about two two brothers who are surfers, which was um, which was pretty cool as well. I don't know if cool is the right word. It's interesting. Um, pretty sad, but interesting. Marcus, what have you been on? Um, similar. So those two, the standouts documentaries for me that have been those three i think uh kissed by kissed by the gods um and then i i like it's the same as anthony i'm not a fan of cricket really at all but i got told by i don't remember who told me maybe billy sell actually i know billy sell and jeff williams one of my anthony's best mates who's also obviously at bath um told us to watch the test and I really wasn't that keen for it, to be honest, because I'm not a big fan of cricket, but it was one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And um, The Last Dance is, is insanely good. I'm loving it. Like The episode on Dennis Rodman was quality. Oh, was, and, uh, he's mad, isn't he? Good. He's <laughs> nuts. But like, it just, it's just so interesting to me. It just kind of shows when you've got the right team dynamic and you've got a coach that kind of allows someone to sort of be a little bit different but doesn't affect the squad in that way, just how well it could work. Um, yeah, I just thought it was awesome. And the coach, Phil Jackson, seems like a complete legend, which I'd actually say not that um, I didn't think the, the, what's the guy from the set? Justin Langer. Yeah. Like if you kind of, if you kind of compared the two, I much preferred Phil Jackson's uh, style of coaching. Yeah. Oh, yeah 100%. Put um, some different perspective on some of the coaches you have to work under, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You kind of see which one kind of falls into. I'm not saying Justin Langer's is te- is a terrible way at all, but you see which coaches kind of fall into into um, the kind of different bracket. You know, um, it's quite interesting. Do you find yourself being drawn to sports docs, or do you watch Gangs of London stuff like that to just get away from sport? Uh, yeah, I've been yeah. watching both. Um, I think I-, I said to Anthony to give Gangs of London a go. And I think he's on that. Then Anthony told me to watch um, Money Heist. Um, so those two have been pretty good. I don't know what else have you been watching. Ant? Um, that's it, really. To be honest with you, um, I can't think of anything else that I've been watching. Um, Gangs of London was pretty good, but I'm useless at watching things where you have to concentrate and then I have to go back and watch it. Like I, I even had a conversation. It. Exactly. Like I even had a conversation with Marcus about the first episode of Gangs of London, and I promise you, it's like. It must be within 10 minutes of the first scene. And, I've, and I called him and I was like, oh, why did this happen? And Marcus then explained <laughs> it to me. And I, and I went back and rewatched it. And it literally happens in the first three minutes. And I'd missed it. Um, it so, is the first scene. It literally yeah. is the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm like as a watcher. Like, it has to get me and I have to be in it from the start. Otherwise, like I'm going to be in and out for all of it. But like. Any sports documentary, in particular, like The Last Dance, like it's, it's one of very few things where I can watch the full episode and not pick up my phone once or not even be drawn to pick up my phone. Um, it's, yeah. it's, that, it's that good. In terms, of, in terms of like paying attention in a different sport, the, I've watched them all and before sort of lockdown, but the CrossFit documentaries are awesome as well. Those ones are so good. I, again, was CrossFit was not something I'm interested in. Um, but after watching sort of the documentaries, it's insane how fit and how willing those guys are to push themselves the whole time. I found that um, whole uh, mindset of it's, the whole mindset of the different sports and especially CrossFit is 
crazy because that one's sort of both sports in terms of cricket and CrossFit have huge sort of mental um, sort of take a huge sort of mental strength amount of mental strength to to do um, along with the F1 documentary as well I found all of those pretty interesting. You need to watch the Alex Smith one as well. There's a one on uh, an yeah. American yeah. quarterback. I don't know if you know Simon. This bloke who broke his uh, he broke his leg in 2018, and then it just follows his story. Like he had a massive spiral fracture in his leg, and then he has he got infected, and he has 17 ops. Um, and it's just it's just his story of his comeback. But I would encourage people to watch that as well. Um, it's called I think it's called Project 11, but it's it's yeah. crazy. I mean, to be a, you know, we can talk about the downtime, the lockdown, all that, but sometimes when you get opportunity to look at stuff from other sports, the way that people react, the way that they've had to cope, the way they've come out of it, as you, you as rugby players, it must actually benefit you as people to be able to see and, and get that sort of knowledge, that education, if you like. Yeah, I think yeah. so, definitely. You, you can pick up loads, even... Um, even little bits and stuff that that you'd already you'd already learn or something that just a little reminder to you um, or your mindset type thing. Um, for me, that project eleven one with Alex Smith was definitely like a. It was I don't know. It kind of hit home with me because of the Achilles stuff. Mine was nowhere near as bad. Of course, I only had two options and stuff. But um, like just seeing him battle to come back and stuff, it was like it's quite an emotional documentary, but it was, it was quite reassuring in a way for me um, seeing someone else, you know, going through the same thing and, and hopefully it'll come out the other end and be playing. Um, but it was quite interesting and, um, and cool. And I picked up stuff from that as well. So yeah, definitely, definitely the sports documentaries are the main ones for me, just cause you know, you, you can pick stuff up and it's interesting to see other people's mindsets and stuff. I think also like in a similar light, it, you kind of take, you, like Anthony said, you take your learnings from each different one um, and they could be for completely different reasons. And it's definitely not something I've just thought about now, but, you know, one thing that um, if we go back a little bit, we're talking about sort of motivation to train and things like that. One thing I've um, thought of a fair bit this like lockdown and before, to be honest, but I think one thing that sort of made me motivated to train is um, I think I, I think the three years I've been at Walsh, I haven't played as well as I would have liked, if I'm completely honest. And like, you know, a lot of, I'm not blaming that solely on some sort of niggling injuries and stuff, but at the same time, I think I'd like to think if I sort those out, I'd go back to sort of some form that I was kind of in towards the end of last season and a little bit of, uh, and when I was at Newcastle and those sort of little documentaries are just little reminders. You should have them already, but they're just little reminders that for me, if I can get myself into work on my rehab during this time and work on my fitness if I get myself to a decent spot I'd like to think I can bring that form back and hopefully repay Wasps and sort of um, play better than I think that I've been doing and, and be happy with sort of some be happier with some of my performances to be honest I'm sure all Wasps and England fans hope that I'm not sure about the Bath fans but we'll roll with that um, <laughs> Away from the screen, uh, lots of people have talked about getting something out of lockdown, be it a new skill or improved something. Have, have either of you been cooking? Have you been in the garden? Have you been decorating? Have you been servicing the car? Is there anything that's come out of this away from the screen that you can say, yeah, I did that? Uh, mate, I've tried everything. Um, no I've semolina tried... soup? <laughs> no, of course, I've made that. Well, actually, I learned how to make 
some of my mum's Nigerian food. So I was on FaceTime with her for about three hours. You better um, tell but... everybody what semolina soup is. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's called a goosey soup. It's called a goosey soup. Uh, I can't make that yet. That requires some, some special ingredients that I don't have access to. Um, but I made some Nigerian stew, um, which, which I, well, I'm very happy that I can now make, and I wrote it all down. Um, after being on FaceTime with her for about four hours. Um, <laughs> but I've tried learning how to barbecue meat and smoke meat and stuff, um, which is quite cool. Um, I'm useless at gardening and stuff. So I got frustrated when I had to cut the grass. And bear in mind, my garden is legit about 10 by 20 meters max. Um, and yeah, gardening is not going to work for me. I cut the grass and I lost my head because um, it, wasn't, it wasn't how I thought it was going to look afterwards. And uh, I just can't do it. How's things in the Midlands, Marcus? Um, so I think the things that I've like, one thing that I've realised as well is that I'm a terrible handyman. I've like, there was a, <laughs> like, there, there was a, that, we better not get my Duncan next door neighbour. He'll lose his head. Yeah. And, and my next door neighbour is like, he's working on everything. Like every now and then I just hear the, the um, power tool going off every five minutes. I'm like, what is this guy up to? I go outside, he's like, um, He's sorting out his van, like completely rebuilding this van. He's done his whole garden. I've literally sweeped some leaves into a corner and been like, yeah, sweet. That's job done. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think I've, I've, I think the things that I've kind of um, been spending most time trying to sort of get right is um, the rehab. And then I started off trying to sort of clean and sort stuff out in the house. One thing that's going to crack Anthony up, I think I've told him already, is I've like, I've bought a long board <laughs> and like, I'm going to, it hasn't arrived yet, but I'm going to, um, I want to try and start like uh, doing that. So if I'm like sort of going to the shops or whatever, I can just skateboard there. <laughs> Honestly, it's going to end in disaster. <laughs> Get your insurance sorted. That's all Exactly. <laughs> Right. No, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to be doing any tricks or anything. That's literally just a straight, just, just chill and just cruise down. That's me. No skills. Just one cool dude, Marcus Watson. That's it. <laughs> last, no, it, last, it won't be when I'm falling off every five minutes. <laughs> last question to you, right? You have special dispensation to hold a dinner party. The two of you together, you can have two sports people and two non-sports people. Who are your four guests? Oh my god! My two sportsmen are Jerry Rice has to be one of them. One of mine's Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Yeah, be eating the meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Um, you can be another amongst yourselves. It would be another American sportsman for me, anyway. Um, yeah. Probably Allen Iverson or LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron James would be good. I'm trying to think of someone else who would be really interesting. You know, I. This is kind of covering a couple of things, but I'd quite like to... I just read a book on the whole um, uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith situation with the Olympics and the, the Blackfist and stuff like that, and I found it really interesting. Um, so I'd quite like to just talk to them about that situation and stuff like that, just purely... I watched another documentary on sort of Jesse Owens, and it was just kind of crazy how that guy's won an Olympic gold medal and then goes back to his country, and to get money, he's racing against sort of horses and stuff so they'd have some pretty good stories so i'd probably have one of those two and mike tyson maybe 
Okay. And you met, you said Jerry Rice said, am I right in thinking you met him earlier on? Yeah, the NFL sorted out. Um, I, uh, I'd spoke to someone at the NFL about, um, about, I can't remember what we were even talking about. I think we were talking about sport and heroes and his name came up and then he was coming over for, to help with the NFL Academy. And, um, they, they said to me, do you want to come and, and, and meet him and do some filming stuff with him. And of course I jumped at the opportunity. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like even interviewing or, or speaking to him for sort of 10, 15 minutes, like it was just ridiculous. Um, you know, the stuff that I picked up in terms of like how hard he worked and some of the stories that you hear about him and you think that they're kind of, you know, played down and he just confirmed them and explained them and stuff. Um, like his, he did his ACL or something. And obviously an ACL is a nine month injury and um, they put him in a cast. And I think it's something like 10 or 12 weeks later, he sawed off his cast in his garage Ouch. and he's, and he's, uh, and he's out trying to, trying to play. And, and I think he does play and he catches like 10 passes for something like 190 yards or something. He's just a freak. <laughs> There's your two sports people. Who are your two non-sports people? Um, I don't know why this one first comes to my mind. Is you know that Carl Brashear from uh, Men of Honor? I think he's actually passed away now, but he's one. All right, you can drag him yeah. back. Yeah. Sorry, can I? I actually for the sports one, I'm going to actually pick the Australian from that um, race actually because no one really talks about that guy, but he got ridiculed just as bad as Tommy Smith and John Carlos. So I'll pick him instead actually because I don't really know. Him. Okay. There's not much about All the right. stories on him, and I quite like to ask those questions, but. Um, one of mine's Ricky Gervais. Well, I've got two comedians, actually. I know mine already. Go on, then. I've got Ricky Gervais and, and Dave Chappelle, I think. <laughs> yeah, Dave Chappelle's <laughs> good. Dave Chappelle would be yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, both those two with Mike Tyson could be chaos. Yeah. <laughs> you think? One of, one of those two is getting beaten up. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Nice stuff. Well, you wouldn't be short to chat, that's for sure. Gents, <laughs> no. thank you ever so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. And we cannot wait to get back on the pitch and see you back on the pitch uh, uh, in bigger, better, faster form than you've ever been before from what you've said today. Uh, so stay safe, stay strong. Good to see you guys. Thanks. Appreciate it, Simon. Cheers, thank mate. you. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. The Clash Podcast. Well, we've had some great Bath legends here on the Clash podcast, and they don't come much bigger than this blast from the past. Delighted to welcome back Ollie Barkley. Barks, how are you doing? How are you coping with this lockdown? I'm good, thanks, Si. I mean, I, I, I go through fits and starts. I think I've the first, the first four weeks, the novelty of it all and catching up on stuff that I've put off for the last year or two has been, um, has been quite rewarding and fulfilling. And I think the last week or two, perhaps, like... Like lots of other people, I've kind of got to my wit's end now and I'm hoping that that announcement on May the 9th allows us to all have a little bit more freedom than we do at the moment. Like many Bath fans, I'm interested to see where you've been because I lost touch since you finished your French sojourn. You did the Scarlets and then you did London Welsh. What's been happening, what, in the last three, four years? Uh, I've cramped in quite a bit the last few years. I went to... Um, I had started a property company about three or four years before I finished playing rugby. Uh, and then I had something going on back in Bath, which was going to take quite a while to, to materialise. So I went to Hong Kong for nine months uh, and worked for the IIB out there as a consultant and worked with lots of the teams out there and the Hong Kong team, which was great fun. Um, 
for anyone that's not been to Hong Kong, they should go there. It's, it's crazy, but it's great fun. Um, came back and then threw myself into into property, um, which I still do now. Uh, and then a year and a half ago, I was approached by um, Ed Jackson, who many of you know. Yeah. Used to play for Bath Dragons and um, sadly broke his neck jumping into the, into a into a pool about two years ago. But Ed still wanted to start a in brief an events company uh, which was geared around charity and um, off the back of that we've basically designed two concepts where we take people away on climbs and also um, the pop-up sort of um, pop-up restaurants where with all, the, all the proceeds going to charity and we actually we achieved foundation status about two weeks ago which is really, really nice so between property and, and M2 or the M2M group uh, and the M2M foundation uh, it's millimeters to mountains. Yeah, I tend to keep very busy at the moment, but it's it's enjoyable. Like, I do miss, I do miss parts of rugby, but I I keep very busy now, and um, I'm grateful for that. Great to see so much variety in your life. Were you involved then with Ed's trip up to Everest? Was that part of the M two M? Yes, that that was um, that was actually done in conjunction with Wings for Life, which is uh, who who are Red Bull's charity, who Ed is an ambassador of. But that was done as part of the M two M stuff. Actually, unfortunately, we only achieved foundation status a week before that was done, so we couldn't raise funds for our foundation because um, we couldn't set up a bank account in time, <laughs> um, which was frustrating. But from here on in, like much of our stuff will be done, will be geared towards our foundation which will stem around um, taking largely people with related mental health problems up to the mountain whether that be um, Mont Blanc or, or Hemlong Hamal which is hopefully going to take place at the end of the year. Incredible results for Ed in terms of mental clarity and perspective when he had his, his really bad injury so it's something that we want to be able to offer people that um, probably wouldn't get the chance financially and probably wouldn't maybe create this opportunity for themselves if they weren't pushed or they weren't guided. And, uh, that's largely what our foundation is going to be around. So people need to keep uh, keep aware. Of, it's the M2M Foundation, is it? It's the M2M group, yeah. I mean, if you follow myself or Ed on Instagram, um, we, we tend to talk quite a lot about it on there. But we had a lot planned this year, like lots of people, which is now um, falling, not flat, but it's on pause at the moment. So we're... Um, we're shaping up for, for a big sort of 21 at the moment. And hopefully we'll, we'll fit some stuff in towards the end of the year. But if you follow Adam on Instagram, we keep pretty, uh, keep pretty active on there. We talk to a lot of people about coming out of rugby, finishing with it, moving into the real world, if you like. You talk about the, the mental pressures there. Physically and mentally, did you find it a strain when you finally had to stop playing rugby and, and join the real world? Um. I think I was quite lucky in the sense that I had my property company set up from three or four years before I finished playing and it was always a very, it was always a really keen interest of mine, not just as a means to explore life after rugby and support myself financially, but I have a genuine interest in it. Um, I always have done some when I sort of bought my first place and then just kept flipping places and doing them up. and. I was really thankful for that, but there was a period definitely for, for three months when I finished playing um, and there was an element of um, limbo when I was supposed to go back to London Welsh and coach and that hinged on a financial investment from an investor in Wales which fell very much flat on its face. So there was a holding period for me where I didn't know what was going on uh, and, a, and an element of uncertainty 
and at that I found that really really hard and that was just for a couple of months and I'm generally the sort of guy that can I don't know maybe it's from kicking or just the pressures of being in a position where you'd asked to make decisions I generally have grown up being able to be quite self-aware and, and have an element of self-talk to control my own thoughts so that was really helpful actually when um, I was going through a tough time for a couple and it's only for a couple of months but usual things you know just picking yourself back up telling yourself it's temporary that you're in control of it and all those things and you are and it's just the people that struggle I think and the people that um, don't have that ability just yet to to talk to themselves and tell them that it is temporary and tell them themselves that it is it can be controlled and it can be overcome and um, I mean we all know like it's all sadly it's all too prevalent now in in rugby and in other sports but it's a growing problem and it, you know it, it really needs to be and it is being addressed it needs to continue to be addressed I think. And it needs to stay high profile which of course it is right now. Have you been able to replace that physical exertion in your life that, that the game used to give you? No I definitely haven't um, and one thing I did say to myself is I'd never try and replace it because I think that's where a lot of the danger and the disappointment comes from. Um, I've always been used the mantle that I was always grateful it happened and not sad it was over because um, I knew that nothing would ever replace winning with your mates or grafting your ass off your mates in the week and then on a weekend and coming out victorious like that. You just can't replace that level of um, that level of trade, you know, trading in effort and, and, and hard work and then winning back victory with your mates. That That is an incredible trade-off that, not many people get to experience and I was very grateful for that as I was you know, a lot of my teammates and a lot of other guys that play rugby but I never tried to replace it I think physically I got stuck into things like CrossFit which in terms of intensity were there or thereabouts never in terms of pressure because I don't compete I just go in in the morning and try and flog myself and then leave um, but it brings a level of intensity which is somewhat similar to the way we used to train at times in rugby but I, I'm not complete. I think I've competed in anything since I played. No, I haven't. Uh, and I'm I'm cool with that. I competed so much in the course of my year that for my life story that I just think that I was very happy to park that level of competition and just replace it with a level of physical intensity, which CrossFit and various other bits and pieces. I do. I bike quite a lot. Um, I get out and we walk had, an awful lot. We had Flats and Mirzy on the Clash podcast earlier on in the series, and I've got a feeling they're they're both crossfitting. Have you crossed paths with those two front row icons? Well, that's what they told me to call them. Yeah, <laughs> Flats would definitely have told you to call them that. Yeah. Um, I think I think uh, Mirzy goes a lot. Uh, Mirzy and I don't don't tend to go to the same. Um, the same sessions because he goes into the six o'clock one and I just don't function before 7.30am. So Flats used to go and then I think when he realised that um, he couldn't bend down below his waist, that was quite a key part of CrossFit. So, <laughs> well, unless it's a stake yeah, down there. <laughs> yeah, unless there's, unless there's some sort of joint down there you can stick on the barbecue then he's not going to get lower than his waist, unfortunately, but he knows that. You now have had a little time to reflect on what was an amazing rugby career when you think back to making your England debut at 19 before you'd even worn senior Bath colours. You've played in lots of different colours, you know, two spells in the blue, white and black, at Gloucester, Racing Metro, Grenoble, and as I mentioned, Scarlets and, and London Welsh. Have you got a couple of highlights 
that stick in your mind thinking, yeah, I did that. That's that's what made me the player I was. Um, there were a couple, I think. Obviously, the first, my first cap was, was great, but I was too young to even grasp what was going on, really. And it was in San Francisco against an, against an American team. So it probably didn't have um, the impact and uh, it wasn't really the dream that I perhaps anticipated. Um, in terms of crowd and feel and stuff, so, but that that came then when I made my debut Fring, debut Fringham at Twickenham uh, a few years later um, against Wales. And I'm half Welsh, and my family are all half my my mum's family are all Welsh. So that was quite a special game. It was a really special game, uh, and to be playing at Twickenham with like Jason Robinson and Will Greenwood and um, you know Lawrence and stuff was was an incredible experience and something that I I actually never. I never thought I would do. I always wanted to work hard and get as far as I could, but I never thought I'd be in that position. So that was pretty special. Um, I, I don't know. I was asked this earlier by the by the guys that, that, um, that run this podcast, and a lot of my most special moments came just. This is probably quite lackluster for some people, but just at the wreck when we would have. No, you don't say just at the wreck because the wreck has its own its own kudos. Well, it? yeah, we got used yeah, I mean, to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I suppose. And I was there for so long, but that, that still remains the most special stadium for me. Um, the proximity to the pitch, the crowd, are, like, there were days when we were particularly beginning of the season and the end of the season, more the end sometimes, when the weather was great and we'd be on form and the pitch was dry and we'd, we had a few years when we were playing some great rugby and then, you know, the, the game would end and the, the fans would be super happy and the balloons would climb from behind the stand and you'd look across the other, other side and see the cathedral and just, you know, like that, that, those are moments when I used to remember just thinking how lucky I was and how lucky we all were to do something like that at, at that sort of ground in that sort of environment. And um, I will, I've only been back a few times, well, about five or six times to watch games and that, that, that place will always be one of the most special places to me you know I, i've had some incredible memories there and incredible moments special moments special memories and a very special ground as we all know when you look at the game now ollie you know obviously we're in lockdown and there's a lot of talk about change that may come about in the game global calendar whatever else what what do you think could happen to the game of rugby that would better it and, and better the the general nature of the game in the world? Good question. Uh, I think we're all in a situation right, where we've no real idea how that's going to play out. I think, no, you know better than I would, but it looks at the moment like we will be playing in empty stadiums for a period of time on a pay-per-view system, which it looks likely. And I think that's probably going to be necessary to get the game back up and running. Um, I think there's a, I think, you know, that there's, they've always for years, de- well, nearly decades now have tried to work out a way to unify um, both hemispheres in a way that could, um, that could mean that the best sides from the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere play each other. And whether that is an opportunity to do that now with the, with the seasons very much been turned on their head, I don't know. But I think that, would be a real travesty if, with the professional game going the way it is and how commercial it's now becoming uh, and what occasions game time is. Now, the, 
there's some really great experience going on around the world now at the moment. I think we don't quite get it right at the moment in England. Saracens get it right, um, X to get it right. And these are real occasions now away from just the rugby. And I think if we could try and bring that into the world calendar with, with two hemispheres playing against each other in, in certain way, I think if we can explore at any point, we can explore that now. Um, and I think that should be looked at for sure. I think that would be fantastic for the fans and it would be a great way to learn from, from different sides at different times of the year. And, I mean, I've always been a fan of summer rugby. Like, I, I hated playing in the rain. Um, so perhaps it's a chance to look at maybe rejigging the season so that it's perhaps moved towards the summer season. I don't know. Um, but if it can benefit the game and the way that the, the spectators view the game, then I don't think we're ever going to have an opportunity like we have now where the world's been turned on its head and we have the chance to to restructure things. Yeah, that, it is opportunity, isn't it? The way that things have, have panned out. Uh, I mean, this season, of course, started with, with the World Cup, um, England getting through to the final. Eddie Jones has just re-signed to take England through to the 2023 World Cup in France. Is he the right man on, on what you've seen, on how England have developed? Is he the right man to take them forward on the next four years? I think, um, personally, that he's done a great job for the time that he's been there. Um, I do think that Eddie has a certain style. Um, he's very game-line driven. Um, and to, to be successful, maybe you need to be largely game-line driven. But I do also think that perhaps after the World Cup, that would be a good time to bring in new coaches and new style. And take the game forward to the next World Cup, I think. I don't subscribe to the idea that, that that was a success, the World Cup. I think England did very, very well. The players did incredibly well, but we weren't there to win that World Cup and we were in a position to win that World Cup and we didn't do that. So I, I would say that, you know, moving forward, it would be a good opportunity to say thank you to Eddie for everything that he's done and then bring in a new coach and a new coaching team um, and bring something fresh in and then perhaps bring a new style in. Uh, I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. And if you're going to do it, I think now would have been the time to, to have done it with a four-year run-up and having a crack at building for the next World Cup. Would you have had anybody in mind or is that just a, a general idea you've got? Uh, a general idea I have. I think if you, if you ask me to go and uh, pick some coaches out, then I probably have to go back to the, uh, back to the thinking block for a while. But... Um, I think eight years, or has it, would it have been eight years or six years? How long would it have been at that point, um, at the end uh, of the next World Cup? Yeah, the best part of eight years, wasn't it? It's a long time, you know, and I think that, um, I think Eddie's an older coach. I don't, I don't know how many new ideas he'll bring in. That will depend on how many new coaches he's willing to bring in or how many new coaches are willing to work under him. Um, but I think eight years is a long time of one coach. And new, different players can come in and breathe new life. Coaches come in and come in and breathe new ideas. And I think that's really, really important for a, for a rugby setup. We go through Groundhog Day and Groundhog Day is part of rugby. You wake up, the, the weeks are very similar. The weekends are very similar. And you need that, you need that vibrancy and fresh ideas to keep, keep you alive in rugby. And if you don't have that, then it can become quite a stale place. And lots of players will tell you the same thing. So, 
I'm not saying that it's a bad decision, but I'm saying that better decisions perhaps could have been made at this point in time. And there's plenty of young talent coming through. We've seen it at Bath, we've seen it at England. I mentioned you made your debut at 19 for England, but that was something of a rarity. It's not a rarity any longer, is it? Because these young, young players are being fast-tracked onto the international table. It's quite exciting times if, if that talent can be utilised properly. It really is, yeah. I think, that, I think a, big, a big pat on the back has to go to the academies at the moment. I think they're really doing something right there. I mean, certain clubs are doing an incredible job um, with their academies. Exeter, um, Saints starting to sort themselves out. Saracens obviously have an incredible um, second team with all the academy cars coming through. And they're physically now, they are... They're taking in at 14, 15, and they're physically, they're physically more able at 18, 19 than probably we were at 23, 24. And that allows them to, um, to play in a robust way through the course of the season and not get injured. I mean, that was a big concern when I was younger, was that, A, could you handle yourself at 18 on a pitch full of men, but also could you do that every week in, week out through the course of the season? And the answer then was no. Um, but that's not the case now. So I think physically they're in a far better position to perform. Um, not just from one week or from one week to the next. And um, I think that the, co- the standard of coaching in England now is, is much better than it was and it's getting better and better and better. And I think that that allows players now understand the game far better and they understand what what skills are required to perform at the highest level consistently well. And I think that's coupled that with their physical conditioning and how they're managed from a lifestyle point of view, which... Club, I'm really pleased to see club, clubs are taking more of an interest. And I think, it, as you said, it allows younger players to flourish from that much earlier age, but not only flourish and burn out, but flourish and stay there. Mm. You mentioned younger, newer ideas coming in the coaching setup. Of course, back in at the rec, Stuart Hooper now is the DOR. You used to play with hoops. Has that surprised you? He is the man he is today and where he could take Bath? Not at all, no, not at all. Um, Hicks always commanded huge respect when he played um, and he always had a very poised, calm manner about him which um, definitely bled down to the boys and the boys really, really appreciated and got a lot from so it doesn't surprise me that he, he got into that role I think it's a really good role for him I'm not overly sure how it works at the moment or how it will work when they all go back in terms of who coaches and who sits at the top but um I think, yeah, I think it's if if Toots is given the right amount of freedom and the control to do what he wants to do with that side, and I think, and he has some great ideas, and um, then I think that it'll be a really good thing for Bath. But he, he does, I think, think someone in his position does need to be able to give him that um, that freedom and that that control to do what they want. Well, let's hope so. Certainly seems to be uh, heading in the right direction. Barks, it's been brilliant having a chat with you. I'm, I look forward to seeing you back at the wreck pretty soon. I know you're back in Bath now in, uh, in familiar surroundings, right? Yeah, yeah, back in Bath. I've been back here now for the last two, three years. Um, tough place to leave. Come back and you, um, even though I was here from 18, 19 years old, it, it's an incredible place and yeah, I feel very grateful to be here. So I'll be down there soon, mate, I'm sure, and um, we'll come and we'll share a beer sometime. Well, your association and your love from Bath is, is permanent. So it'd be great to see you. Look after yourself. Stay strong. Stay safe. Good to see you, Barks. You too. Cheers, sir. So that's it for the final episode of this series of The Clash Podcast, presented by Dyson. Thanks for joining us. We've loved making the show, and we hope you've enjoyed it too. 
Stay safe, stay strong, and we all look forward to reconvening at the wreck before too long. Bye for now. The Clash podcast will be available from all good podcast platforms. We'd love you to like it, subscribe, and share the pod with your friends. We'd like to thank our producers, Simon Ward and Dan Brown, for their support in the launch and recording of this podcast, as well as the team here at the club. See you next time.